Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Three-time All-Star in Japanese baseball. Two-time gold glove. Two-time strikeout leader. And all after being drafted as what they call a developmental player. And he's achieved things that no other developmental player ever had. One-two from Senga. And the bat goes flying. Guriel strikes out, and Senga has a strikeout for his first out in the major leagues. The ghost that made Guriel's bat disappear. <laughs> right on those seams, and that ball just bottom dropped out. So maybe Senga can breathe a little bit now. And Sanchez goes down swinging. He got him with a split. So Senga with back-to-back strikeouts, and there are two out. Cardinals bench coach last year. Solaire chases one for a strike three. As they, they tried to work out a plan, again, a very collaborative process that you know, doesn't necessarily come naturally to Senga as he gets a, a swing and miss right there. Um, but Hefner said he's been very happy with the back and forth they've been able to have. If you come off a bad season, you really have to fight off all the negativity. And Senga strikes him out with a splitter. Six strikeouts for Senga. All have come on that first fork ball. Woo. Eighth pitch of the at bat, and he struck yeah. him out with a fork ball. Senga with seven strikeouts, each one of them with that dastardly ghost fork. 3 2 coming. And he got him. Eight strikeouts for Kodai Senga. Notice his delivery is three quarters and watch the ball move away. Well, it looks like that might be all for Senga. 89 pitches over five and a third in his big league debut and a roaring success. Gave up a run in the first. Nothing more after that. Eight strikeouts over five and a third. Kodai Senga, welcome to the big leagues. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, April the 2nd, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you can share an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can also get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as risingapple.com. Welcome to the first regular season edition of the Talking Mets podcast. A friend of the show coming on in just a little bit, Mark Rosamann. Great new website, kinderscorner.com. We'll share first impressions. That's the theme of the show, first impressions of the 2023 Mets. And 
perfect alignment, it's like the Mets know this show is on because first spring training start, Talking Mets podcast, first regular season start for Kodai Singer, Talking Mets podcast. So Mets aligning Senga's debut with the program. So, you know, maybe they want to help us out a little bit. And, of course, coming in, you heard the highlights of Kodai Senga, uh, up and down performance in the sense where it was really not looking good in the first inning. You know, pretty laborious with the pitch count. But you can't deny uh, the moxie of a Senga. You can't deny the fact that that ghost fork is legit. You can't deny that there is talent, there is stuff there, and the Mets win. They take three out of four from the Miami Marlins, five to one. Senga gets his first big league victory. And yes, we'll talk a lot about Senga and the first impressions there in a regular season game when the lights are on and when it counts. But in general, as we enter, and I know you know there's going to be the eye rolls from some of you, the getting to know you phase of the 2023 Mets as we start the journey again here. All of last year is in the history books. We've said that for a while. So nothing that happened last year really matters anymore. It never did as soon as spring training started. But, you know, in a lot of ways, because you're bringing back the same team, I think sometimes fans and even the media, we roll things over one year into the other. And we take, uh, you know, we assume things that were good are going to continue to be good. We assume things that were going to be bad are going to continue to be bad. And sometimes we cloud our judgment when it comes to teams that are brought back largely intact by and large. So let's take a look at first impressions. And the beautiful part about a four-game opening series in Miami, other than the fact that I know what you guys are all thinking, is that this is like City Field South. I've heard that. I saw that reference all all weekend on social media. But the best part about a four-game series is you pretty much get to see the entire squad with the exception of Carrasco. I mean, Buck was able to use pretty much the whole roster so it's a perfect segue into this show where this is a first impression. We want to see what we have in front of us here with the 2023 Mets that right now do not have Justin Verlander as he has what's deemed as a minor uh, injury to you know maybe his lat area, shoulder. I don't know how you want to call a Terra's major. Is that what it's called? Did I pronounce it right? No Edwin Diaz will be out for the year. So you got to see the bullpen for the first time. So you get a chance to see the first impressions of this 2023 Mets team. And yeah, I'll tell you what, a lot of 2022 in them. And I'll start with the offense because I know that's where a lot of the debate and the discussion, and we'll get into this with Mark when he comes on in just a little bit, but that's where the debate and the discussion will be as, you know, you got the kids down in Syracuse this weekend, Beatty making nice plays, Beatty hitting, Alvarez hitting home runs, Vientos getting into it. You have these three young kids and here, you know, Darren Ruff was designated for assignment. I was a little surprised about that. LaCastro made the team. We talked about that a week ago. You got Eduardo Escobar continuing to struggle, three strikeouts today. So right away, any kind of brownout like Friday night that the offense had or will have, right away you know who, you know, they're going to be going after the fan base and the media. It's Right now it looks like Escobar because Tommy Pham had a nice debut. Seems like it's contact lenses. If it's, if this is the best he's seen, this is what he said in the postgame, if this is the best he's seen in years, he should have got those contact lenses a while ago. But right now I think what you are going to see with this offense is pretty much what you saw all of last year. 
It is a typical Mets offense, and I know it's not sexy. They only got five hits today, but they walked a ton during the series. So against mediocre pitching, against mediocre teams that have bad bullpens and arms that are coming out, young pitchers starting arms that are coming out of the bullpen early, they're going to wear those teams down. They're going to get runners on base. They're going to allow this offense that's a component-driven offense that you're waiting for a big hit from a Marte or a Pete Alonso or a McNeil uh, you know, Lindor, you know, those are the guys that are going to drive the star power in the offense. But the rest of the offense is component driven and it's meant to wear the pitcher down, get on base, get timely hits. And you saw that throughout the weekend. I mean, other than Friday against the lefty Lazardo, who is a good pitcher and it was a top pitching prospect. That's why Oakland, you know, when he gave him up, that was a big part, you know, of that deal when they traded him to Miami. Um, Lizardo is a guy that has a ton of talent. And yes, there is reason to be concerned with the Mets against lefties. It neutralizes McNeil. And even to a certain degree, you know, Pete would, uh, hits left-handed pitching, but all last year, the Mets offense was, uh, was basically kryptonite against left-handed pitching. But I'll tell you what, if Tommy Pham, who is historically known to hit lefties, maybe not at the level that Darren Ruff had coming in, can produce in that spot, that's going to be huge. I mean, that's why you brought him here. But nothing about the Mets' offense should uh, disappoint you outside of Escobar. And look, you even heard Buck say it in the postgame. They're not ready to throw him off the island. I think Escobar's going to get a ton of time here. He's at least going to get the month of April. At least. And I think Buck's going to fight unless there's something about his process and his swing. And, you know, something that we as, as laymen don't see. I think Escobar gets a lot of time. And I would not be surprised if Beatty's down in, in the minor leagues until Memorial Day. It, for, from a financial perspective, Mets get another year of, of control. Now, I don't think that's the way Steve Cohen and the Mets play. I don't think that's, that's, that's going to be a driving factor. But if you're, if you're playing well and this offense is largely scoring, even though Escobar may not get off, to, off the mat really quick, they're not going to just throw him off. They're not just going to get rid of him. Because to bring Beatty in and play Beatty, even if he plays just against right-handed pitching, you want to make Escobar the platoon partner. You need to make a dramatic move. It means getting rid of Locastro, getting rid of Fam, maybe getting rid of Escobar. These are big moves early in the season. You want to make sure you have enough of a sample size there. So you really saw a typical Mets offense. It's an offense that can score five runs a game. It's not a bully offense. You know what a bully offense would have done today? A bully offense would have probably won this game 8-9-10-1. Mets win it 5-1, which is where I think it bothers a lot of the fans because... It was still, even though it was a comfortable lead, Nagosa came in, you know, one more walk there in the eighth inning, and it could have been tying run up. And that's when games that you should win could turn quickly with one swing of the bat. And I think that's where not having that bully offense maybe bothers a lot of uh, of you because it it leaves the margin of error still within a, a certain sphere that, that just is uncomfortable. We know that. Defensively, you had to be really happy about what you saw between Lindor and Marte and just the solid overall play that this team gives. I mean, you hear all the time about Buck Showalter and, you know, the attention to detail and how he pounds into these guys the fundamentals of the, of the game. If there's going to be something that unravels the 2023 Mets, whether it be an injury, bad performance, I don't think it'll be shooting themselves in the foot, for lack of a better word, on defense. The bullpen... I have to tell you, if Diaz was in this bullpen, and this is what's killing me, and I, and you know me, I said this last year, when DeGrom went down, you could not spend the season, and you spent a large part of the season, saying, wait until DeGrom, wait until DeGrom, wait until DeGrom. Now, you can't do that with Diaz, because the likelihood of him even making any kind of cameo, even the last week of the season, is very remote. 
even though I know that they're wor- he's working really hard. He's posted on Instagram. Mets have thrown the, the kitchen sink in terms of resources at him. But, you know, all I could think all weekend is I love this bullpen. There's really nobody coming out that doesn't have a really live arm. There's guys with upside that, you know, maybe are really good scrappy pickups like a Dennis Santana. I mean, even Nagosik, he was shaky today with this uh, control of his secondary pitches, but he got through it. He gave you a couple of good innings. And you look at Robertson and Adovino and Curtis and, and Rayleigh, to me, with the way he got uh, a Chisholm out throughout the weekend. He's very exciting to me. I mean, these are the kind of pitchers that make up an elite bullpen. And you think, you know, a year ago you were relying on Joely Rodriguez. And two years ago you had, uh, you know, kerosene on the fire like Miguel Castro and, you know, a bunch of, you know, in and out arms like you saw at times uh, that the bullpen, they've had guys come, you know, you know, Barnes and all these names that we've seen over the course of the last couple of years that we thought had potential. Now you're starting to see this really come to fruition when the Mets have put together a really good bullpen where only you wish that Diaz was there to provide that elite end of the game, uh, uh, you know, stamp on the whole thing. That's not going to be the case. Robertson may not be as sexy, and the, and, the, and the strikeout rate may not pop, you know, like Diaz. But he gets the job done, and and they didn't really hit him all that hard. Uh, look, the Mets defense helped them throughout this series, and that's part of being a good team. You know, pitching staffs are going to be helped, um, you know, by their defense. So you really can't complain there. Now, Kodai Singa, we you know we saw it today, and what was interesting is you know I was watching this in the first inning. And Chris Bassett's pitching for the Jays. So all I'm thinking to myself before I even knew that Bassett got lit up by the Cardinals, I think it was for four home runs, is I'm saying to myself, how ironic is here's Senga staked to two-run lead, not throwing strikes, was getting squeezed a little bit, uh, was really one big hit away. And John Birdie almost got it. You know, good positioning by Marte, good play by Marte there at right field from getting blown out of the game in his debut. And we might have had a whole different conversation. But, you know, I was thinking to myself, here's where a veteran like Bassett, you know, two out of three series, you know, you could take a real, you know, commanding series win, three out of four. I mean, that's what good teams do. They try to put the hammer down when they have a chance to on the road. You know, you want to play better than 500 on the road. You want to play at least 500 on the road. You want to win at a high level at home. But when you play teams like Miami, teams that you should beat, even though that they're much better than they were a year ago, you know, uh, a rise, I got to tell you, is is a fantastic hitter. I'd love to have someone like him on the Mets. And, you know, even though they're a better team with a better offense, you want to put the hammer down. That's where a veteran like Bassett comes into play. And let's face it, Senga settled down after he was nervous, given the benefit of the doubt. He was a little nervous there, got a little bit squeezed there, had big strikeouts in the first inning, big play by Marte. And then after that, Miami, yeah, they worked the count. He wasn't able to go past much past the fifth inning, uh, I think he retired 15 of his last 17 batters, struck out about eight and five innings. Uh, Senga gave you everything that you would have wanted from a veteran like a Bassett or from a Jose Quintana if he was in the rotation. So you have to feel really good about that. And I think you saw exactly the reasonable upside of Senga in today's performance because everybody's dreaming of top of the rotation, Cy Young and all this stuff. And, and quite honestly, I think that's unfair to the guy. If you tell me, and this is where I think some of his starts are going to be extremely uncomfortable to watch because I think he's going to fall behind hitters. I think he's going to get a lot of 3-2 counts. 
Uh, I think he's going to have to do a lot of execution with a thin margin with runners on base and maybe you know behind in the count or at a 3-2 count like you saw today. And that's probably going to knock him out in the fifth inning, maybe the sixth inning. So you're going to need a, a pretty fresh bullpen that day. But if you told me that you could get five, five and a third, maybe six innings, one, two runs at a Senga on a fairly consistent basis, you know what? And he has the potential to get better. To me, that's a home run then. Then at that point, it's a home run because of the upside. You want to make sure that the floor is somewhere in what, and look, Bassett was a guy that potentially could have top rotation stuff. It was in the conversation a couple of years before he came to the Mets for the Cy Young. But we know his age. We also know the pitch clock. I mean, he has a repertoire. He was, I saw an interview in spring training. I was reading about him the other day. I mean, he, he's tinkering with his, his repertoire. He's got about eight pitches now. I mean, that's a serious amount of deception that you can go out there against various different lineups. You know, Senga, to me, is a guy that if he gets ahead of, of, of hitters, if he could really locate and command his pitches and control his pitches, um, you know, and it's more about control, I think, than command, uh, you know, him ahead of the count, what that goes for, with how nasty it looks, how you you got to protect the plate, and you can't really prepare for it, especially if his arm slot is deceptive. Uh, the sky's the limit there. And you can see why the Mets went out and got him. Now, remember, everything you see as far as a first impression here this weekend with Miami, you have to temper it with saying the Mets did what a good teams are supposed to do. They went into Miami and took three out of four. Uh, again, better Miami team. I've said, you know, they lost, what, 41-run games last year. A team that I felt, even now, with some of their good starting pitching, a couple of good arms at the end of games, they get a lead late. They can navigate, you know, the sixth or seventh inning if their starters get knocked out. They have a chance to be pesky. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see because they don't get really good support at home. This is the kind of team that would go into a visiting ballpark and drive them nuts all weekend and take two out of three. We'll see. You have a chance to see them at City Field uh, before, not before too long. Um, but this is a team that you should beat. It's at best a 500 team or low 80s win team if everything breaks right for them. You shouldn't be, you know, struggling against these kind of teams. So um, everything came up as good as you possibly can expect when going into opening day, you heard the news about Verlander, and right now we'll just have to take the Mets at their word that Verlander uh, is, is you know, has a minor setback. And let's face it, knowing that on the on the heels of Diaz being out, not knowing how the bullpen will perform, questions about the offense because you feel they're a bat short. Going into the opening series, the Mets have, even though they had a really good offseason and there was a lot of optimism coming into opening day, since the Correa deal fell apart, it hasn't been all roses for the Mets since early January. And this is a good way to wipe the stench away from that. We all knew... And this will probably happen where, you know, maybe Scherzer needs oil change throughout the summer. The Mets are going to have to use their depth. They're going to have to use their depth with McGill and Peterson. They're going to have to use their depth because they may need to go six starters. They're going to have to use their depth because there may be an injury, like Quintana. You didn't want to go to Peterson and McGill early. I think the only thing you can say about this Mets team that makes you think they're a little bit different than last year is you have to question how good the starting pitching is going to be because... You just don't know what you're going to get out of Senga, Peterson, and McGill. There was a lot of positives out of them, but there was also you know, not much length in terms of the innings. Defense helped them out a little bit. They tend to get themselves in trouble with their control and, 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 and getting behind hitters and walking batters. All three 
you can make that argument. But let's face it, the results are the results. And if you could combine some decent stuff and minimize the damage and you combine that with the good defense that the Mets play and a team that could score five or six runs with this bullpen, even without Diaz, this is a team that scores five runs. They should win those games for the most part, uh, even with potentially the starters not giving them exactly what you want. And, or, you know, you want to get some of the uh, rust of Verlander off early, put them on the DL, get them ready. You want Verlander and Scherzer to be healthy and peaking in September, October, not April and May. You just don't want that. Um, you know, look at Bassett. Peaked a little bit earlier last year. You want him to peak late. He didn't, and he had troubles in the postseason. So this is a long season. I think the starting pitching is something we definitely have to keep an eye on to see what's going to happen there. Let's let's continue to be optimistic about Senga, but I think what you saw out of Senga today, that's kind of like best case scenario. You know, five, six innings, one, two runs. Uh, a lot of you know the the name I keep thinking of is Sid Fernandez, like how Sid would would labor through outings, but you'd wake up, you know, five or six innings, one run, two runs. It was a really good outing. He never was considered an elite pitcher because back then you had to go deep into games to be an elite pitcher. By today's standards, you know, six innings, one run, no one's expecting you really to go more than six. And look, if he gives you more, great. Um, you know, this is could this is the best case scenario you could have thought, especially when you think about where he was in the first inning, which was really a, a hit away from being blown out of the water. And Bases loaded, nobody out, run in, you know, really coming back to strike those guys out. Uh, you know, again, it's the Marlins, but that shows you a little moxie. That's exactly the kind of test. If you get on a big league mound and you're coming from another league, another country like Senga, and you want to be challenged, getting challenged right off the bat is the best way to be. I mean, there it is right in front of you. Are, do you have the moxie? Do you have the ability to overcome adversity? Do you have the moxie to overcome it? And can you navigate self-inflicted damage? And he did it all in the first, you know, whatever he has, 30, 40 uh, pitches there in the first inning. What's funny is 70-something pitches between the two struggling starters, Rodgers and Senga in the first inning, and the game didn't even last three hours. Nothing about the new rules bothers me. Not bothered by the bigger bases. I thought I would be. Not yet bothered about the lack of being able to throw over as many times as you want. I thought I would be not bothered by it. The lack of a shift does not bother me. I mean, there's really nothing. I have to say, and I heard Rob Manfred on with uh, Sherman and Heyman, and, you know, I got to agree with him. You know, you really wanted to eliminate a lot of the inactivity that, quite honestly, when you start to think about it, after you've watched through spring training and through these first four games, at least for the Mets, the, the, the hitters just filling around with their gloves or taking their time to get up to the plate or pitchers overthinking their craft. I mean, these are things that you're forcing the players now to adapt and do those same things in 15 to 20 seconds. And I think that's reasonable to ask. Now, if the quality of play starts to suffer, which it hasn't in my opinion, and I think you would have saw some early bumps. Yeah, you had a couple of violations today. That's going to happen. I think eventually you'll, they'll get over it. Um, and, and they'll make do, and, and they'll adjust. So really good weekend for the Mets, really good weekend for the new rules. Aesthetically a game that, you know, look, it was two hours on Friday. Um, and I, I laughed when I saw people say, well, now it's 9 o'clock, I have nothing to do. Well, find something to do. Now you got time given back to you by the game, you know. You don't always have to sit and, and, and lose your entire night watching a baseball game. You know, I don't think every game's going to be two hours and nine minutes, but two and a half hours – Two hours, 40 minutes, game starts at 7 o'clock, 
quarter to ten, you know, night's still young, depending on what you want to do. Uh, that's plenty of baseball. I'm sorry. And and if it means you see better pace of play, uh, that's a beautiful thing. So I, I got to tell you, I come to you today, and we'll take a quick break, and we'll have Mark Roseman from Kinder's Corner, and we'll hear his thoughts and his first impressions of the Mets so you don't just have to hear mine. But between that and the new rules, the 2023 MLB season's off to a great start. And I got to tell you, when I first heard the new rules, when I was anticipating this show months ago when the new rules were put in, I didn't think this is the kind of conversation we'd be having. And I will tell you, I still feel the Mets, as we go through the getting to know you phase, may have some bumps. We've seen it. Verlander being out. Uh, Senga in the first inning. Uh, figuring out, you know, who's going to uh, play against uh, left-handed pitching. You know, how are they going to play that out? Is Tommy Pham playing himself into a solid platoon role? Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all comes out. But the Mets, in in if you really come to learn with Billy Epler and Buck Showalter, yes, they want star players, but they are as committed to component-driven players to round out their roster because they know it's not just 26 stars that are going to win a championship. It's guys that do a myriad of things, guys that could sub in on a Sunday like a La Castro and make an impact. You know, tomorrow Escobar will sit, Guillermo will play third. You know, they don't need to go in. It's, it reminds me of when Mike Francesa many years ago, and this is a, another economic time when he said that you need $10 million to fill your bench because he wanted guys like Kenny Lofton coming off the bench for the Yankees. And I laugh thinking about that. I'm like, no, you don't need $10 million. You don't need stars coming off your bench. You, and I think Kenny Lofton had one year in the Bronx. And he wasn't happy with his role, if I remember correctly. I always remember that. You don't want guys who are not used to playing part-time being put into part-time roles because your team is stacked and because you just want to have a name coming off the bench. You need guys who understand their role. That's what chemistry is all about. Yeah, it's not only just about liking each other. And the Mets are really good, especially with Buck as their manager, to finding guys. And if it doesn't work out, sure, look, rough didn't work out. But they'll find guys, Trevor Williams last year is a great example, and they'll exceed in that role because that's what they're told they're going to do. They know what they're going to do. They have no problem with it because it's been clear to them, and they excel at it. And then all of a sudden, a team that, again, doesn't look sexy in all all its parts has a pretty sexy outcome, a pretty good one-loss record. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Mark Roseman, KinersCorner.com. Let's hear his first impressions. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets Podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets Podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. We're back and joining me, uh, friend of the program. It's been a while since I had a chance to talk to him. Mark Roseman, uh, great book. If you guys haven't checked it out yet, down on the corner, Ralph Kiner and Kiner's Corner. And with that, he has come up with a great new project, as I said in the open, KinersCorner.com. You could check him out on Twitter at Kiner's Corner Web. And Mark, a uh, long time in the business, and I went to the website, and I know that in talking to you a few years ago, your uh, your passion for that book about Ralph Kiner and the what was at that time the postgame show. But you have some great clips going back to the 80s and early 90s 
So if you haven't had a chance to check out connorscorner.com, I mean, geez, that's great. So welcome to the program. Awesome website. Glad to uh, have it as part of the Mets community and uh, hope you're doing well. How are you? Really appreciate the kind words, Mike. Uh, doing great. I mean, obviously, like you said, I mean, the Down on the Corner book um, was the second of my nine books uh, with Howie Carpin. And when we did the book, we tried to get the domain name, kinderscorner.com, and it was taken. And I sent an alert, and about a month and a half ago, the alert came through that it was wow. available. Yeah, so we jumped on it. We trademarked it. Um, and came up with this concept. Um, you know, it speaks to fans of a certain age, obviously. Um, and based on our demographics that we see in, in our Facebook group, um, we hit that demographic sure, right on the button. Sure. Um, but it's a blast. And, you know, I had all these kind of corners from when I did the book. So there, I believe right now, there are 40 Kiner's Corner episodes up there. Uh, it's probably the the only playlist of its kind on YouTube, but it's also in our video clubhouse. It's the the top ribbon. Uh, you can just scroll through them at your leisure. And I'm always searching for more. Um, I found a lot of them just through message boards when we were writing the book. It was like uh, detective work back in the day. Right. Uh, if you remember the the Yahoo groups and things sure. like that. Sure. People that had moved out of New York um, had asked people to trade tapes and people used to send VCRs to people living in San Diego so they could watch the game. And those videotapes had the Kiner's Corner and I was able to digitize a lot of them and get them up there. So um, a little harder to find them now. Um, I do have one Holy Grail that I'm still searching for. Um, it, it comes up on an alert every so often, but whenever you click it, it says not available. Uh, George Carlin had appeared on Kiner's Corner and there's video out there somewhere, but every time I go to find it, it's been removed. So if any of your listeners um, know where <laughs> know I can get it. it, that's my holy grail. That And you look at the post-game show today, and, and it's not a knock on it, but you got the scrum with Buck Walter. You've got the scrum in front of the locker. You have more access now with video and, you know, video going to Twitter. I mean, let's face it. You can, uh, you don't have to wait. Like, you know, in the early you know 80s and 90s when I was growing up and just started watching baseball, you don't have to wait for those quotes in the paper the next day. You can get them within 20 minutes after the game and they're on your phone. But nothing quite like Kiner's Corner. So if you go, you, I mean, you could see anything ranging from, uh, you know, Lenny Dykstra, and I believe it's his wife, all the way to Tommy Herr on uh, when he was a Met for a brief time. And you see guys uh, basically in their jock shorts, you know, coming on the show, you know, just barely off the field going to Connor's Corner in this folksy uh, makeshift set. You don't see that anymore. And it's not knock on Gelbs or any of the guys that are doing uh, in the business now. They're doing what the current business platform is. It's, uh, it's different. Ralph was very uh, conversational. And you don't get that in a post game anymore. And it's kind of what we're doing and what you're doing, you know, this conversational type of thing, um, you know, on a Sunday night and recapping the, the the week that was. Absolutely. And what we wanted to do is we added a little wrinkle. So originally when we sat down and we talked about this concept, we were, we were looking to do like a post game show with fans interactive through Zoom. 
And then we realized, all right, listen, every game is a little overambitious. Then we're going to do one at the end of every series. But if you look at the schedule, you know, then you have series that end on Thursdays. You have series that end on Fridays. And we figured, you know what, people, you know, aren't going to remember what day we're on. So we looked at the schedule. There's a ton of Monday off days. It's, you know, notoriously a travel day. So we're going to be on every Monday night. Um, If there is a game, we'll be on post game. Uh, we've been lucky, you know, Howard Johnson and Barry Lyons are part of this project, so they've popped on. But, you know, um, through the Kindness Corner book, as well as you never forget your first, the New York Met book, you know, uh, and, you know, being a Met fantasy camper, I can mm. always count on a Met to pop in. So, you know, um, this week, obviously, the talk, uh, we did our preview show, so we we really didn't get into the the Batty and Vientos being sent down. Um, but I wanted to get a general manager's take. And since Ed Lynch was a former general manager for the Cubs and, you know, um, played for the Mets, Eddie Lynch will be on with us tomorrow night. And the fans can come in. That's the beauty. The fans mm-hmm. come in the room. We we throw a couple of questions out to Eddie and then we open it up for the fans to open up. And the beauty of the Facebook group is I think we have about 25 to 30 former Mets that are part of the Facebook group, the page. Yep. And including Howie just, Rose, I believe Howie Rose is part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And yeah. um it's funny, last week, um, two weeks ago, Ryan Thompson just happened to pop in. So there was some really great conversation, you know, between Ryan and uh, you know, just going back and forth with PN and Nelson Figueroa in the room between the two of them, which was pretty cool. And then the fans got to ask some questions. Uh, we, yeah, it's funny because the fans, uh, you know, as much as we stress that we want them part of the show, we're getting like regulars that pop in and others are just watching it on Facebook live, even though mm-hmm. the invitation to pop in the zoom room is right there. So we're hoping that grows and, and that gets to be a pretty big family as the season goes on. Interesting. It's Mark Rosamond, kinderscorner.com. Great project, great book. And as someone who grew up watching baseball in the eighties, cut my teeth, uh, you know, like 87, I think it was 86, 87 is when I started watching baseball. Connor's corner was a staple. So, uh, you know, talking about this current team, uh, the theme of this show is first impressions and you get a good idea of, of, you know, an initial impression, a four game series in Miami. Uh, and here was my synopsis and I'm curious what yours, uh, is offense looks pretty much like it was last year. Not very sexy, but you look up, five hits but they score five runs and and you know they do their thing the starting pitching we'll see you know Senga got in trouble got out of trouble I think this was the best case scenario I think this is what you would hope for from Senga his first year uh, I know that people are hoping for more but I think this is kind of what you got very laborious at times a la Sid Fernandez if you want to grab a uh, a blast from the past you got the kids McGill and Peterson that are gonna need to help out Bullpen looks really great. Shame it doesn't include Edwin Diaz. The bullpen looks really, really great. And the defense is great. And to me, what bothers a lot of the fans, and I don't know about the fans in Kiner's Corner, I'm going and taking a straw poll of Facebook and Twitter and things like that, and I don't listen to talk radio as much anymore, is that there's a lot of uh, uh, component aspects of this Mets team. Sure, they have stars, Lindor and Alonzo and Scherzer and Verlander and so on, but there's a lot of guys that fit roles. And when they get the job done, like Tommy Pham today, it's not sexy. It's not uh, Correa, but it gets the job done. And that's what Buck Scholar and Billy Epler have really been about since they took over this team. So it looks a lot like the 2022 team with a wrinkle where, you know, hopefully Vernander gets healthy. Hopefully Senga is more today than first inning Senga, full game Senga versus first, first inning Senga. And then you have the whole DS factor. And, and I'm curious your thoughts. 
So interesting. You know, you, you also do need to be a little leery of first impressions. Sure. Um, and, you know, I did have this conversation with, with Eddie in, in booking him for Monday's show. And Eddie said, you know, as a general manager, the most overrated day of the year roster, you know, makeup wise is opening day. So I, I carry that a little further is, is opening series. Um, I agree with everything you said, uh, but like I think fans and, you know, I, I think it's just fans in general. Um, we are a binge watch society these days. And baseball is not something you can binge watch. It's a long season. So, so the people yesterday when, you know, Water Escobar is going over three and, and, and struggling so far this season, and they see the day that Batty had yesterday in Syracuse, you know, you're already bumping a guy right. who hit 20 home runs and drove in 69 RBIs last year for a guy who's got, you know, 28 games of AAA experience. Um, you know, so yeah. First impression so far off of spring training and the first series, you know, Escobar looks lost at the plate. That can change in a series. Um, as it did for Mark Canna. Mark Canna started off 0 for 6 and looked lost and then had a great game yesterday. So I think we need to, you know, tap the brakes a little bit. You know, the Fish are a good team. They're a scrappy team, but they're, you know, bottom two fifths of this division. Um, and they, they, you know, they're doing the Juan Samuel, you know, experiment in center field. And it was a disaster <laughs> for them. Keith Miller, you can bring up. We're, yep, we're evoking a lot of uh, history. Howard Johnson, right. your buddy, Howard Johnson played right. a little center. People forget that. Yeah. He even, you know, right. ducked at the hall of fame. Hojo was a center fielder. I mean, Hojo played a ton of positions. You got to give him right. credit on that, but you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, on that whole thing. And everybody loves, the backup quarterback, for lack of a better word, in this town. Exactly. And Beatty and Vientos, and to a lesser degree, actually, Alvarez, everybody's fine with Alvarez developing down in the minors, it seemed like. But Beatty and Vientos, not so much, so put a lot of pressure. Uh, I don't think they feel it, but maybe on FAM to produce Escobar. And and honestly, Mark, uh, with Escobar, uh, I, I see the point. The fans say this is the position that, you know, you could slide Beatty in and you could afford to live with the growing pains, especially because much of last season, with the exception of a September, Escobar was below league average hitter. Uh, but there is something there in terms of his clubhouse presence. There is a, a sample size. I personally believe, and I don't think it has anything to do with finances. I think he, he's going to get at least until Memorial Day. And if you keep Beatty down to about the first week of June, I think you get an extra year of service time. Now, I know the Mets aren't thinking about that, but let's face it. They have a lot of guys they got to pay. They still got to pay Pete Alonso. They're going to eventually need, you know, Scherzer and Verlander aren't going to pitch forever. There's going to be another ace they're going to want to get. Maybe it's Otani. Who knows? So getting that extra year of Beatty under control might become, you know, it's it's moot right now. But six years from now, if you and I are sitting here still doing this thing, we're going to be talking about it. And I'm going to go back to the tape. I'm going to go back to this and say, we told you back in April of 2023, right. and you thought we were a bunch of idiots because – Everybody wants, like the NFL, week in and week out, they want the instant gratification. And I even heard, I saw people tweet out, well, they didn't bring the best 26 guys north. Well, nobody really does. No. I mean, no, it's an evolving listen. thing. Greg Jeffries, again, history. Greg Jeffries didn't get brought up until August of 1988. Imagine if we were living in the Twitterverse in 88. You know, people would want Greg Jeffries probably to be called up right away. Dave Magadan. I mean, the thing is, listen. Yep. The the problem is that, you know, there's been a paradigm shift. So there are guys that do come up with such little experience. The Wanda Francos, the Julio Rodriguez's of the world. But but Beatty and Vientos aren't in that stratosphere. Pete Alonso had 68 games at AAA, 
right? Not 28. So, you know, Betty's got to learn And a different team. He wasn't blocked by a veteran of any sort. I mean, the the position was wide open, um, and Adrian Gonzalez type was there in front of him, like, pretty much the year before. That was what they had for most of the year. John Mayberry Jr. John Mayberry, whatever. (laughs) You know, remember, Pete Alonso was not brought up at the end of 2018. He could have been. Right. He could have been. Absolutely. And if they did, he'd be a free agent a year early. Everybody would be screaming and yelling. So uh, 100% on that. I think the first 60 games or eight weeks where we get to know this club, I think daily, at least on social media, you're going to see the Beatty clamoring. Yeah. Uh, yep. Unless Escobar goes bananas. And it's complicated because if you bring Beatty up, essentially you have to drop somebody, whether it be LaCastro, a pitcher, a fam, uh, Escobar. You can't do that now after a no. bad weekend. Bucks, that's not who Bucks Showalter and Billy Uplore are anyway. You can't right. do this now. I worry a little bit for Escobar. And, and again, as a veteran, they still hear it. He's going to get it from the home crowd. I don't know if the home crowd is going to be vastly different than the social media crowd because, look, prospects are now promoted on mainstream sources, not just you know message boards like back in the day. So he needs to hit well. And I think he needs to hit well at home. And I think it's going to – it could get ugly if he's 4 for 32 like he was in spring training in another 10 days or so. No, I agree. And, but I also do think that his mentality is well suited, that he blocks things out. He, he is a great team guy. He's got the support of his teammates. I listen, you know, eventually this season, Batty is going to be your, your everyday third baseman. I think after the all-star break, I agree with you. You're going to, you wait till he gets at least the platoon, at least the platoon. Exactly. And then Eskimbar can slide into a DH role. If fam falters or, or, you know, you you just, um, and injuries also, you just never know in this game. Um, So those are some of the things, but um, it's just so interesting. Like, you know, because we have access, you know, back in the day, you'd have to wait the day after to, you know, find sure. a newspaper for minor league results. If your newspapers did it, you know, back in the day when Straw or Dwight were, were coming up, we we didn't have the access where you can go online and know immediately during the day, real time, what right. Matty Vientos and, you know. You'd have to get inside pitch. Like you would look at Mets inside pitch. That was like, what, a monthly publication? Yeah. And, yep. and I, I got to tell you, Mark. When it comes to prospects, and this really ties in, even though we're you know evoking a lot of history here, a lot of 80s history, um, we didn't really talk about prospects back then like they do now. Like Jeffries was a thing when Jeffries was called up, you know, uh, I, maybe because I was young, you know, I was only 10, 11, 12 years old and, and, and listened to a lot of WFAN it didn't seem like Jeffries was a thing like years ahead of the time. You know, Wilma Flores, we heard about Wilma Flores when he was 16 years old. Right. right. And, and by the time he got called up, it seemed like he was the, the team a thousand years. Steven Matz was with the team a thousand years, it seemed like, because we heard about him from the start. Now, you know, back then it wasn't the same. And, and, and it was almost like, I don't want to say there wasn't any less pressure. There was, but it got like, you know, Magadan or Jeffries or any of those guys. He kind of gets thrown into the, into the mix. Keith Miller. Guy was thrown in because of injuries, and all of a sudden they're like, "Wow, Mets got speed and energy and all this stuff." And it, it wasn't like you were expecting that, like they are now coming up. Yes and no, and I think the reason is because a lot of back in the day, I'm older than you, obviously, Mike. So back in the day, a lot of the prospects that did have like quote unquote some fanfare, guys like Sean Abner, um, before him, Mike Vale. Um, you know, Mike Bell came up and had the, an incredible hitting streak as, as a rookie. And then, you know, he hurt his ankle in a pickup game and was never the same. 
but guys that, you know, were, you know, Tim Leary, there were guys that were on the radar that, you know, Murph and, and Kiner and, and Lindsay would talk about on the radio and never like fulfilled it. And we have that for years, you know, F Mart. I mean, they're just guys that have come right. that were, and then, you know, listen, I, I think, I think really the thing that put the whole kibosh on like us touting, you know, fans touting, you know, prospects of Generation K. Uh, sure. Know, how how much more fanfare can be other than sure. Pulse, Wilson, and Izzy? And and I think that was the was. first modern day Generation K to me was the first modern day prospect hype. I mean, they were comparing to Smoltz, Glavin, <laughs> right. and Maddox. And Israel had a great uh, half season. Pulsifer came up and pitched well. And, uh, you know, look, at that time, you know, again, it doesn't really matter for this show and what we're talking about. They probably had the wrong manager and a, not a philosophy of development that you see today with pitch counts. I mean, those guys were pitched a lot in the minor leagues, you know, but that's another story for another day. Was there anybody this weekend? Again, first impressions, you're right. I mean, it's the opening weekend. It's the Marlins. It's they're supposed to take three out of four. But this is a time where first impressions and early season getting to know each other, like I call it. Uh, is a big part of what we're going to experience over the next at least 30 days. Anybody stand out to you that you were a little surprised about this weekend or somebody that you were a little bit more bullish on now that you've, uh, you know, got four games under your belt watching this Mets team? Again, small sample size. Um, Given what he didn't do at all in spring training and given the day he had today, yeah, Tommy Pham was a little bit of a surprise for me today. Um, you know, his, he just looked to me slow in the outfield in spring training. His bat looks super slow. Uh, I mean, uh, he, he got on base with the catcher's interference only because he, he, his swing was three time zones too late. And the catcher, I think was already throwing the ball back to the pitcher that he got right. a catcher's interference on. Um, totally shocked me today. Uh, you know, the bat speed was there. The power was there. That shocked me. Maybe, and, maybe um, it's the this 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 doctor that gave him these contact lenses. Maybe. Put his name out there. He's going to get himself a lot of money on this whole thing. You know, <laughs> not only that, you got to love the bling, the the intensity and the bling with the the diamond necklace there in the post game. Got to love it with Tommy Pham. But uh, look like a different player. You're right. And that yeah. could be big because he's giving you what you expect Darren Ruff to give you based on his history. And Darren Ruff, you know, uh, I think they kind of put him out of his misery because I don't think he could have handled the scrutiny that no. was going to come. No. Um, you know, Escobar yeah, I basically in our first spring training episode, two things that like people were saying, you know, um, Jim Cerny asked me what I thought his position would be on opening day. And I said, DFA, and that came true. And the other thing is, and this is another thing with prospects. And, and I don't think we mentioned this, you know, you talk about guys that have been around forever. You know, Ronnie Mauricio is this generation's Wilma Flores. But a guy who I think, you know, that we we really tout and, you know, people are salivating to see him up here. Um, I don't believe he's going to get a sniff this year. And that's, no. you know, Francisco Alvarez. And I think if he doesn't get a sniff this year, which I don't think, I think Navarez is a really capable catcher who's going to hit for decent numbers for us you know, with Nito. I think that's a great um, platoon. But I think what's going to happen is you're going to see Kevin Prada, who's already got experience at the college level is going to bypass Alvarez as their top catching prospect. His defense, really? his yeah. defense, his everyone is rate defense was what everyone thought was his weak point. People are now raving at how much he's improved. And wow. Alvarez is still, you know, his learning curve defensively is is still kind of slow. So it's right. going to be interesting to see 
where that he's a bat. shakes out. Yeah, he's a bat. Yeah, you have to bat. think Beatty's the likely guy to get called up. If Fam hits, it's hard to see a spot for Vientos. He might be trade bait. Although on the cheap, he'd be a good compliment to Vogelback. But, you know, look, Vogelback might be a guy, you know, he's lefty. Historically, he hits right-handed pitching. But let's face it, um, you know, he's not a guy that's sure to have a spot here. You know, he's not making a ton of money. Yeah, it's um, one-dimensional, too. And, yeah, very you know, one-dimensional. Epler and Buck love versatility. Yep, you know, and he doesn't provide I think, that. I think that's why Ruff has gone also because, you know, he really, you know, with the wrist, he wasn't, you know, going to be able to – withstand first base as you know as any time to spell pete so i think that's why everyone and his brother brought a first baseman's love down to spring training so a couple of things before we wrap up um the new rules how do you like the new rules it, nothing bothered me pace of play doesn't bother me i thought the bases would bother me they really haven't the pickoffs i thought would bother me it hasn't the shift although i was you know it, it was kind of like i didn't want it to be legislated uh, baseball because it's not the NBA, it's not the NFL, it's not the NHL. The lack of you know the shift situation and the feet on the dirt not changing the game any worse. Maybe we were. Here's the analogy I'd use. I said, is baseball at the hand check or the neutral zone trap in the NHL phase of their arc? And maybe they were. Maybe they needed these rules. And I'm not bothered by them. Look, I don't think every game is going to be two hours like Friday night. But today, a horrible first inning. There's a game that last year was ticketed for three and a half, maybe four hours. Maybe it would. we might be waiting for it to end right now in order for us to do this program. It was over in less than three hours, and that's a good thing. Even though you had some pitch clock violations, which a cheesy strikeout, whatever. Get in the box, pay attention, get your stuff together. So as a traditionalist, I'm sure you are one. Do you agree with that assessment? I am a traditionalist, and I will say that this is more what I grew up with. I mean, yep. you, you didn't go to the ballpark to watch a guy step out after every pitch and readjust his batting gloves. When I was going to games in 1968, 69, you know, 70, 71, those games were two hours and 15, two hours and 25 minutes. Uh, I, I think the 23 inning game against the Giants might have touched a little tick over three hours. Uh, you know, it, I, I like it. Um, I I just, it, there is a rhythm to the game now. And I, I think back in the day, the, the pitchers had an internal clock anyway. If the, mm-hmm. if the batter wasn't stepping out, they were ready to pitch. And I love it. I, the, the, the fact that the stolen bases are up, you know, I, I love that because that was, right. you know, that was analytically, you know, taken out of the game. And in some respects, it still is. I mean, Brendan Nimmo, we, I talked to him in spring training and I asked him about it. And he said that, their analytics department told him that if you were not stealing bases at an 80%, you know, um, success rate, you're hurting the team. Um, Howard Johnson, you know, we had him on that week. He disagreed. He said, because, you know, you can't, analytics only so go so far. He says, just the threat of a steal changes defenses. Sure. moves defenses around and you don't know makes the picture anxious makes the pitcher That's you right. know you're not having that you know the pitcher just relaxes and now you know you could get him out of his groove also you might see more contact because guys aren't taking their time to gear up to throw caveman baseball um <laughs> look i'm all for strikeout or more per nine everybody loves what Ed- edwin diaz does but edwin diaz does it by actually throwing strikes and having deception with his slider uh, you know, just throwing hard and and walking the ballpark, that's not for me. You know, that's not baseball at that point. So I agree with you. 
Um, they may have been. I mean, remember how the NHL was at the neutral zone trap? Remember how the Devils changed the game? Remember the NBA and the hand check with Pat Riley and the Knicks and and other teams like the Heat that took took the game to where you know playoff games were you know seventies and sixties. We were going to college basketball level scores. Nobody could <laughs> right. score in the NHL anymore. Not good for the product. Now, do I agree that the NBA should be 130, 120? I think sports have swung the other way. And I hope baseball doesn't start to become arena baseball. So I hope that they don't get too, like, I could deal with this, you know, start to become arena baseball and, like, change the mound and and make yeah. the bases, even, you know, even shorter or do something goofy. I'm not for. I mean, even the Ghost Runner, I was so against yeah. it. And it was such BS that it was for health and safety during COVID. It was a test. They should have just called it what it was. Here's a chance to test the rule. I mean, you know, you're going to get less COVID because you're at the ballpark 20 more minutes. I mean, come on. It's insulting my intelligence. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. I could do without the ghost runner. I mean, maybe that's the one, but it really doesn't bother me, Mark. It doesn't. And extra innings is more exciting now than it ever has been because you're on the seat, you know, edge of your seat, you know, especially even if you are the – uh, the home team, because you could, you know, the road team some ways, I think they could maybe tweak that a little bit, but, you know. And that's... I think they are open to tweaks. I think they're already receptive, you know, maybe adding five seconds when there's a runner on, right. maybe adding two seconds. You know, they're right. they're going to, to find that sweet spot. But so far, listen, and uh, we we never say this, uh, but you do have to give umpires kudos for, right. you know, as much as the players had to adjust to it. There is so much more put on that home plate umpire now that sure. we don't even realize. And they've been flawless. Uh, yep. Yeah, listen, the one mistake they made on Pete going back to first base. And okay. Yeah. I mean, the replay and, center, the replay center had a bad weekend. That I can't figure out. Right. But right. you know, maybe exactly. they're on a clock. Maybe they're on a clock and they don't feel comfortable. So all right. Uh what do you got coming up? Uh Connorscorner.com. You got the Monday uh, you know, Zoom live Zooms, in the group chat. Right. Which at some we point have, I'd love to I'd love to get in there and, and be a part yeah. of it and see you guys. Uh, Mark has want. been covering sports for a long time. He's in the mm-hmm. locker room. He covers spring training. He's a guy that you know, even though he's at, as a Mets fandom, he's not sitting there with the pom poms. Believe me. So no. give our <laughs> listeners an idea of what's coming up, uh, so we can get as many people as possible knowing about this great project. Kinerscorner.com. So we want to be the multimedia home for for Mets fans, um, and we. Um, we want to be respectful of everyone's opinions. So we have, like I said, the open Zoom room for all fans. Go to the Facebook group. You'll see it. Twitter, there'll be invites. Uh, we'll do that every Monday. Uh, we drop two shows called Meet the Mets on the 1st and 15th of every month. Basically, you know, I've been doing long-form interviews for years, um, really in-depth research, stuff like that. We're going a little lighter on this. It's basically like some really fun questions, mm-hmm. you know, most interesting conversation you've had on the field. Um, right. So so far we we've done Turk Wendell, Heath Bell, and Kevin Mitchell. Um, that was a good good combo. Yeah, good yeah, combo. a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, we are going to have the Mets Antique Roadshow. Scott Stamell of Cardboard Memories in Comac, New York, one of the best JSA. Yep, I'm very familiar guys. of that. That's a great store in Comac. I used to actually live over there. I'm yeah. a little further east now. Great store over there. And there's great Anthony's store. Coal Fire Pizza in that shopping center. If you like, <laughs> I know there's Italians in the audience. They're going to cry. I love Anthony's Coal Fire Pizza, the best pizza out there. I know it's a chain. I know it's Dan Marino. I know it's from Florida. Best pizza out there. You can disagree, but and I'm from and Brooklyn. Good, and I'm from good Brooklyn. Wings so. good, good wings, too. Good wings. Good wings. And I grew up in Brooklyn. 
So I know yeah, pizza. But, yeah, but you can't put them up with Spumoni Gardens. But well, we'll, we'll, I, you know, that's a on. conversation. I haven't been to Spumoni Gardens in a while, so I'm going to take Spumoni Gardens and put away. But you know, right. for Long but, Island, that's probably the best pizza you're going to get. My opinion, so what anyway. what we're going to do with Scott is we will have Zoom rooms where people can show some of their Met collectibles, and we can talk about the origins. But we're also going to go and check out live, you know, Met fan caves and, and look at those. You know, and, and those will be pre-recorded. Um, and what we have um, every first of the month, um, AJ Carter does an unbelievable Mets crossword puzzle. Um, yep, the, I saw that. This month is um, the 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 Queen Zoo. Lots of nicknames of Mets that are animal related. Um, so that that's a lot of fun. Uh, what else? I think that is it. So the Meet the Mets, the yeah, the Down on the Corner show and the Antique Road show. Uh, lots of polls on the Facebook group. Uh, one of the things in Sports Collectors Digest this month, it was a great article about some guy who wanted to start a baseball card Hall of Fame. Not so much of the player, but like just the actual cards themselves. So we decided, okay, let's do a, Met, a virtual Met one. So we put up all the cards from 1962 for people to look at. And there's a poll right there now to vote for what, not your favorite player, just what you think the best card of that 1962 Met set was. And we're going to each month induct a Met baseball card into the virtual baseball card Hall of Fame. Just a lot of fun things. It's trivia on the Facebook group every day. Lots of conversations. We use the community chat that day with Vientos and Batty. It was like a three-hour thread conversation going on via text with uh, people. And so far, everyone's been really respectful of everyone's opinions, which is great. It's an escape from the the sewer that has become Twitter and Facebook. Sure, we sure. we don't tolerate no politics. It's you know a politic free zone. It's just you need to bleed blue and orange, and that's who we want. That's beautiful. Well, Mark, this has been fun. Let's do this again. I'll be checking out the uh the Zoom room and checking out Connorscorner.com. So uh good stuff and uh looking forward to catching up with you again, my friend. Awesome. Hope to see you out at City All Field. Right. And that's Mark Rosaman. Mark Rosaman. Connor's Corner, Connorscorner.com, at Connor's Corner Web on Twitter. Great stuff. So anyway, let's take a quick break, wrap up. Good stuff from Mark Roseman. Really fun show. Great opening weekend show. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Talking Mets podcast. Appreciate Mark Rosamond coming on. Kinderscorner.com. I mean, how cool is this that you have a site that really is a modern day electronic version of what Kinders Corner was all about, which was to take a nice recap, you know, thoughtful interviews, you know, no crazy hot takes, you know, and 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 really talk about baseball right after the game when, uh, you know, the, it's still fresh. I mean, nothing against the SMY post game. I, you know, love it at times. Love, you know, listening to the Buck Showalter scrum. But the intimacy of what Ralph Kiner did, almost with a star of the game. And, uh, 
you know, that whole situation. It's, it's lost today. Like, you don't have those kind of post-game shows with that just kind of hardcore baseball. And even in some cases, you know, you get a, a personal look into these players literally right after the game. So uh, it's pretty cool. Check out ConnorsCorner.com and uh, away you go. So uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You know, Mets have a ton of challenges here early on. I mean, we just talked earlier in the, the program about Miami and how they have some pesky hitters now, you know, a little bit better offensively. Arise made a, a big impression on me all weekend, you know, playing out in Minnesota, you forget how good of a hitter he is. And then, uh, you know, they have good starting pitching, a couple of good bullpen arms there at the end with Puck and Floro and guys like that. Um, and you never know, you know, they come into City Field next week and that's not going to be an easy series. Mets got to go to Milwaukee and then they face the Padres or one of the teams to beat in the National League. So we'll get an early season look at them at City Field. And then right away, the Mets get a West Coast trip. Uh, it's actually a 10-game West Coast. Three, six, yeah. Oakland, L.A., Dodgers, San Francisco. So early on, Mets don't get a break. They are going to be tested here in April in the getting-to-know-you phase. And they may not have Justin Verlander. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. And, uh, you know, you're going to have guys figuring it out. You know, guys like Peterson and McGill and Senga. Figuring out, you know, Buck figuring out roles in the bullpen. Right now he seems to be doing A and B squads and, you know, really, as he did last year, resting guys because he doesn't want to burn them out. And then eventually guys will settle into roles and he'll know when to push them and when not to. But, um, you know, the Mets in this first month of the getting to know you phase, what we call the first third of the baseball season here at the Talking Mets podcast, not getting any easy breaks easing into the season. Yes, they have the Nats in their division. They have the Marlins. You saw the Braves take care of business against the Nats. But unlike last year where they're able to maybe feast a little bit on those teams, especially when they're struggling, with the balanced schedule, you're not going to see that. So first impressions are good. First impressions were good this weekend. A lot more to go. We're going to have to see a lot more from this team before we make declarations one way or the other. But it was a fun opening weekend, and it was a fun uh, opportunity to talk to Mark Roseman. Uh, returning guest of the show. It's been a long time since he's been on the program. I think it's the first time he's been on since it's Talking Mets. And uh, KindersCorner.com is a great addition to uh, the Mets' social media or blogosphere or you know independent media, whatever you want to call it. Great addition uh, because as as a Mets fan who grew up starting watching the game in the '80s, I love these kind of like clips and videos that you see over on KindersCorner.com. So anyway, uh, hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can also check me out on Instagram, talkingmetsnog. And I want to welcome in and thank the good folks from the fan side of the podcasting network as well as risingapple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy opening day at City Field on Thursday. Till then, take care, everybody.